0: We're glad that you're here today, church, and we're uh, launching, and we've been on the sermon series on worship, and if you will turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 95. Psalm 95 has sort of been the anchoring text as we talked about worship, and what I like to do is read this together, and as Pastor Michael is fond of saying, what do you say again, Michael? If you read quickly, slow down. And if you read slowly, speed up. Is that right, Pastor Michael? Something like that. Okay. All right, here we go. Psalm 95. And if there is a way that you can reflect via emotion and energy what this psalm is actually saying, that would be great. All right? So here we go. Psalm 95. Here we go. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above Okay, can we read that verse together? Can we read that verse 3 and read it like it says, like you mean it. Ready? Here we go. Ready? For the Lord is the great God, the great king above Oh, God. For in his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had been what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray. And they have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest this is god 's word. yeah, see for some of us, we come from cultures when somebody would say that, and everybody would say, and thanks be to God so she, this is god 's word. Thanks be to God we're on the sermon series, and uh, here 's where we launched. The sermon series with. We launch with this, in the, this insight. You and I, we are a worshiper. We are worshippers. So from the very get-go, we want to get this clear. This is not about music, not about song, not about Christian, non-Christian. This is about the fact that you and I are worshipers. In the first Harry Potter book, there's an object called the Mirror of Erised. It's a children's book, so it's not terribly subtle. The mirror, of said, is just desire, spelled backwards. And there's a scene where Harry Potter comes upon the mirror, of said, and he looks, and to his astonishment, he sees his parents. And the reason why this is amazing is because his parents have long passed away. Matter of fact, he's never met them. But in the mirror, he sees his parents putting their arms on him, smiling warm and caring for him and loving him and he's astonished so astonished that he goes and he gets his friend ron weasley he says come you gotta see this you have to see this ron look and ron weasley of course looks in the mirror and what does he see he sees (laughs) himself a sports champion he says whoa look at that that's so cool i'm a sports champion to which harry potter goes wait a minute what what what's what's going on Until his mentor comes and explains to Harry, you'll see the deepest, most desperate desires of your heart in the mirror. Every single one of us sees something in the mirror. Every single one of us. I don't care if you're a Christian, non-atheist, agnostic, Buddhist searching, seeking. Every single one of us looks in the mirror and we see something. And that is the deepest, most desperate desires of our hearts. What is it? What is it? See, that is what we're talking about when we say we're talking about worship. Another analogy that we've used is the knowledge of a throne, metaphor of a throne, every single one of us has a, 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 a an altar, and on that altar is a throne of our lives and if this, Despite whatever you say, really what's on the throne of your heart is pretty easy to find. We find and follow the trail of your time. We follow the trail of your money. Follow the trail of your energy. Follow the trail of your thought life. Follow the trail, and at the end of that trail is an altar, and at the altar is a throne. And whatever is on the throne is what you and I value. Whatever is on the throne is what you and I see in the mirror, and here's the thing, every single one of us in this room is bending our lives to whatever is on that throne, you don't have an option, I don't have an option, it's not like we choose to opt out, whatever is on that throne, we we, we, we circle and we bend our lives to. The word worship literally comes from the old English word, worth-ship. That is to find our worth in something, to value something. So we begin this sermon series all on an equal playing field because every single one of us, Monday through Sunday, 24-7, is walking around with a massive billboard saying, I value that, I worth that, I worship that. Your career. Your body, your marriage, your children, some cause, money, sex, some pleasure. Every single one of us. Walk on the face of the planet. Mm. Value, worth, bend my That's what we're talking about when we say worship. Amazing, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments begins with, have no other gods before me. God assumes that you will either worship God or some other God. He says that it is not an option for someone to not worship anything. That's why we said from the beginning this world is not divided into people who worship, people who don't. This world today, this sanctuary is divided into two groups. There are those of us that are worshiping things that will distort our soul. There are those of us that are worshiping the only object worthy of our worship. You will either worship God or worship some other thing. You can't opt out. You can't say, I don't want to worship. You, my friend, are a worshiper. Here's another reason why worship matters. Ready? Secondly, you and I become what we worship. What you worship, you become obsessed with. What you become obsessed with, you imitate. And what you imitate, you become. I say that again. Whatever you and I worship, you become obsessed with. Whatever you become obsessed with, you begin to imitate. And what you imitate, you become. Another way to put it is what consumes us, conforms us. And what conforms us determines the destiny of our life. That's where some of us years from now will wind up going, how did I become this person? With these people doing these things. If you don't like the person that you're becoming, follow the trail. And that's what's on your throne. You get the, what's on the throne wrong, your heart's going to be wrong. Can we have an honest, authentic, rigorous honesty moment? What's on the throne for you? That wasn't a rhetorical question. I'm actually asking. What's on the throne for you, new community? Say it out. Don't we won't judge. Won't judge. We don't. Actually, our church, we, we all know that God should be, but we fall short. What is on the throne? Status. Oh. Anybody else? Approval, success, marriage, work. Now there is an honest person. Yourself, me, you. Anybody else? Or should we just stop right there? That's a good period right there. All right, Angela, we shut, that, we shut that exercise down right there. It's us, you, me. We're on the throne. And I'm telling you, Jesus says, where your treasure is, then your heart will be also. Invert that. Where your heart is, we will find what you and I ultimately treasure. And please be rigorously honest this morning. Don't throw this thing, eh. Rigorously honest. Who or what is the, on the throne? Because until you and I are rigorously honest about that, and yeah, I'm talking to you and me, good church, Christian, I've done this Christianity thing. Unless we get rigorously honest about that, we can't change, can't be transformed, can't experience the life God intended. We become what we worship. And then we talked about this and why worship matters last week. We worship and it matters because, hello, God is worthy. Now get an amen. I'm talking this morning. God is worthy. Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and for him. And last week I shared this insight to some of y'all. Y'all looked at me like, what the heck is he talking about? And some of you are like, yes! What do I mean God is worthy? I said this last week, if God is God, by the virtue of him being God, he would have to be the greatest, most glorious being in the universe. Okay? If God is God, that's why the Psalms are filled with, there is none like you. Psalms are filled with who compares To you, what are they saying? You are the greatest, most glorious being in the universe, God. If God is God, he would have to be, by the virtue of the fact that he is God, have to be the glorious, most glorious, greatest, none like you. That means that if God is God, God is ultimate beauty. He's ultimate love. He's ultimate wisdom. He's ultimate joy. He's ultimate holiness. He's ultimate justice. By the virtue of the fact that he is God, he would have to be the greatest and most glorious. And do you see why God then says, worship me? Do you see why God says, worship me? Value me. Find your worth and value in Me. Do you see why God says throughout scripture I am worthy of what are we saying? These are all sort of Christian religions. God is saying there is none like me. I am the greatest ultimate expression of all of these things. So when God says worship me, find value in me, is he being egotistical? He's what being? He's being loving. He's being loving. If If God is the glorious, greatest embodiment, if God is ultimate love, ultimate beauty, ultimate joy, ultimate all these things, what is the most loving thing that He could give to you and give to me? Gifts? Stuff? The gift of what? Say it with me gift of Himself. That's why when God says, Worship me, value me. Find worth in me. Send to your heart's affections on me. It's the most loving thing that God can do. Amen? Man, you've been created by God and for God means that you'll spend your entire life searching for beauty, searching for wisdom, searching for joy, searching for meaning, searching for love. Holy cow! Do you know how many love songs there are in the world? I googled it. I googled it. There are 97 million love songs. According to, I got to give you a source. According to um, this dude named Kevin King, music hype CEO. Now, he's not just talking about what's on top 10 radio. He's talking about if you had to... Estimate all the love songs that we have written for all time, for all people, all culture. 97. There is an internal DNA created, inherent. I need love. You can't help it. But when God says, find worth, value, love in me, he's saying, unless you seek it in him, find it in him, be filled by him, you are going to come up empty every time. So it is the most loving thing for God to go, worship me, find value in me. Because when we do, not only is God glorified, but as we said, we're satisfied. Two for the price of one. When you and I come and go, I know God's amazing like that. When we come and go with our lives and our lips, God, you are worth it. You are value. You are my all. You are ultimate beauty. You are ultimate joy. You are ultimate love. I love you. I love you. God goes, yes. But at the same time, our hearts go I said this last week. There's one thing that you can give that no one else on planet Earth can give God. God could find hundreds of thousands of people to do the work. God could find hundreds of thousands of people to give money. God could give hundreds and thousands of people to do all these things. There's only one thing that nobody on this planet of seven-some billion people can give God Except you alone. You know what that is? That's when you go, I love the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, with all of my might. Your affections. Your affections. Nobody else. Huh? Nobody else. And God goes, Yeah, I created you for that. I created you for that. Do you know how this whole deal ends? I'm not talking about the worship service. Do you know how this whole deal ends? I'm talking about, like, world as we know it. How do you think this ends? Let me show you. Because the Bible paints a picture of how this deal ends. Uh. We sing about it today. Revelation 5:11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands on ten thousands. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honor and glory and power forever and ever there will come a time when there will be no more poor people there will come a time when there will be no more racism no more issues of injustice there will come a time when there will be no more broken people and systems to fix there will come a time when there will be no need to evangelize at the end of this is a world that's perfectly restored perfectly renewed I so look forward to that but in a perfect restored world We're not all just sitting around going, boy, what do we do now? In a perfect, restored world, what are we doing? We are. By the way, if you read that and you go, oh, man, that that sounds boring. I can't help you. I can't. <laughs> Actually, I could. That sounds mean. I could. That's why I need to come back as we talk about there's a sermon series. But did you get my point? The end of this is not what you think it is. The end of this from the very beginning is worship, 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 worship. And it closed the horizon. See, so we, we don't begin with me and my needs. That's good news. We don't begin with, what do I get out of it? We begin with God. We begin with God. Oh, man, I tell you guys. That's why there's a battle for your worship. That's another reason why worship matters. (laughs) Say that loud, Carlton, for everybody here. Well, I will preach it here. There's a battle for your worship. The third temptation of Jesus was what? Satan comes and says, bow down and worship. me." Think about that. Think, just think about that. The third temptation is the Son of God. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. The things that you champion, the things that you want to value, those aren't decisions made in a vacuum. There is a war for your worship. Don't be naïve. When you get up in the morning, from the moment that you're conscious, there is a battle for what you are going to put on the throne. There is a battle for who sits here. See, here's the thing. Satan can't stop you from worshiping. Do you get that? It's inherent, it's innate. Satan can't stop you from giving worth to something. So he's not. What he can do is make sure that you redirect it from where it's supposed to be. What'd you say, Byron? You've been there? Me too. And done that. There is a war battle. FOR YOUR WORSHIP. DO YOU REALLY NAIVELY THINK THAT YOU JUST GET UP IN THE MORNING AND MAKE DECISIONS YOU MAKE? DO YOU REALLY THINK THAT THE THINGS THAT YOU value, THE THINGS that YOU'RE GOING, I HAVE TO HAVE, I NEED TO, DO YOU REALLY THINK THAT YOU'RE, THERE'S A BATTLE. YOU AND I gonna SPEND THE ENTIRETY OF OUR LIVES GIVING WORTH TO SOMETHING. Don't you want to make sure that at the end of the day, it's worth it? Don't you want to make sure that at the end of this deal, you're not looking back on your 30, 40 years of life going, I gave my life for what? Don't you want to make sure that what matters most, most matters to you? There's a battle. Carlton said this last week. He's like, you know, you could spend an entire sermon on each one of these points. I could, but I can't. I should, <laughs> but I, but I can't. And we need to move. We need to move. Last week, we asked the question, what is true worship? And we said that true worship is what? Worship that is done in John 4 in spirit and in... True. Say it with me. Spirit and in true spirit, unless God's spirit comes and brings life into our dead spirits, we are incapable of true worship. And then we said that true worship is in truth, that is a accurate perception of who God is and what he has done. So here's a definition we're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking as we close this series on what true worship is, the kind of worship that we were made for that honors God and satisfies us worship is our whole life response both personal and corporate to god for who he is and what he has done expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live worship is our whole response worship is our whole life response to god worship Is our whole life, and today, this is one point sermon today, whole life response, what that means. But it's to God. So give me like a minute here. Worship is to God. Worship is to God. God is the audience. You're not. I'm not. Can I say that again? God is the audience right now. You're not, um, see, typically most of us come to worship, and we kind of go, well, we, I'm the audience, because I sit and observe, and the worship team performs leads, and and the preacher comes, and he preaches, and we kind of sit, and we evaluate the worship service by going, you know... Boy, the worship. It was kind of, you know, a little too that, a little too that, a little too You know you do, you know. And you go out and you go, the worship the sermon, it was too long, it was too short, well, it's never too short, it was too long, it was too deep, it wasn't deep enough, da-da-da. Do you know what it means when we say that worship is to God and that God is the audience? That means that the question that you and I ask when we leave this is not how did they do, how did I do? The question is, how did you do? Our job is simply to prompt, to initiate. Carlton, the worship team, they're here simply to prompt, initiate your worship to God. So the question that you ask is when you walk out, God, did you like my singing today? Jamie, you feeling me? God, did you enjoy my worship today? What did you think of my worship today? God, did you did you enjoy my response to the word that was proclaimed? What did you think of that? That is the only thing that matters. It's to God. All we're doing, we're just prompting, man. All we're doing, just this is all we do. You are not the audience. We worship for the audience of one. See, that could be a whole sermon, but I can't go there. Uh, why not? Because I just, you know, we don't have time. So Romans 12, turn your Bible to Romans 12. We're going to just, Romans 12 and 90, uh, Psalm 95 is where we are going to get this whole life. Result. Romans 12, one. Oh, anybody else love this passage? It's about worship. Carlton, you prayed it this morning. It's about worship. Check this out. Check this out. Check out what Paul has to say about how worship is our whole life response to God. First and foremost, verse 1. Ready? Say it with me. Ready? Okay, well. Therefore. What is the word therefore? Therefore? It's a response. Therefore means it's a response. Does that even make sense? Yes. Or, I guess, however that I can hear. So, it's a response. Therefore, and why is that important? It doesn't start with us. We don't initiate worship. Who does? God does. God reveals. We respond. He discloses. We respond. He unveils. We respond. He chooses to show us how amazing he is. And we respond, therefore, by going, God, you're amazing. That means that unless God himself chooses to show us who he is, we can't respond to him with worship and spirit and in truth. That's why we desperately need the Holy Spirit. That's so why we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit that makes you aware of the very... Like, I'm just going to say this. How many of us come on Sunday mornings and it's hard to focus, to be attentive, to have our affections fully engaged. Anybody struggle with that? All hands should go up right about. It's hard. Do you know why it's hard? Because you and I are completely leaning on our flesh. And we don't recognize what we're about to do. I can't just motivate myself. I, I can't. Some of us think we could. We're like, come on now. Come on now. Get into it. You can't. Do you know why? You could only respond when the Holy Spirit grabs your heart and He shows you who God is. That's why I said last week, you can't just walk in here. Oh, okay, well, oh, it's time to worship. You know who you are. Well, you're sitting here, it's like 10-10, and Count is going, I will get you all my, and in your mind, you're going, okay, am I going to go eat at Dunleys today, or am I going to go eat at El Cid's? (laughs) (sighs) And by the way, that's a dumb question. Go eat at El Cid's, man. Um, (laughs) Do you and I recognize that the essence of the Christian life is that it's supernatural? Holy Spirit. John 3 says that the Spirit is like the wind. And I said this last week, right? Spirit is like the wind. Check this out. I don't know if it'll engage you or not, but the wind, Holy Spirit is like the wind. And a person who's skilled at worship is like a good sailor. What do I mean? Good sailors know you can't generate the wind, you can't create the wind. But good sailors know what to do when the wind shows up. That means that you and I, being skilled worshipers, we recognize I can't generate the Holy Spirit. I can't control what God does. But man, when he comes, and so here's what you're doing. You come expectantly. You come anticipating. You come with an earnestness. Do you approach God in your personal devotions and corporate worship like that? Of course you don't. You and I go nonchalantly. You and I go indifferently. You and I don't expect anything. The Holy Spirit says, are you looking? Are you seeking? Are you searching? Do you know the kind of difference your personal and corporate worship would be if you and I just got a hold of this truth? God, I come expecting. I come anticipating. I lean in. I need to see your face today. I urge you, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's (laughs) mercy, essence of the gospel right there, Jesus is the everlasting door by which we come into the presence of God. Jesus is, and this truth is so important for those of us who don't live as we should all the time. Amen? Because when we fail, the enemy is very quick to go, big hypocrite, put your hand down. Big hypocrite, how dare you say those words? And especially for some of us that value authenticity, we go, I can't mean these words, so I'm not going to say these words. And Satan's going, That's awesome. We don't come to worship on our merits. We come to worship through what? Through Jesus and God's mercy. Is that good news? Because that means we can come to worship anytime, anywhere, because the cross goes before us. That means that we can come to God and worship anytime, anywhere because we don't come through our merits but through the merit of Christ. That means that you and I are worshipers anytime, anywhere. That's why the truth of who we are in Christ has to be front and center at all times. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do I know who I am in Christ? Can I just remind you today? Here's who you are in Christ. You ready? You and I are free in Christ. You and I are eternally forgiven. You and I are rescued. You and I are washed clean. You and I are made new. You and I are recreated. You and I, there is no more condemnation. You and I, his righteousness is our righteousness. You and I, we are born again. You and I, we are sons and daughters of God. You and I, our debt is paid in full. You and I, sin's power is broken. You and I, death is defeated. That's why we can come to God anytime. Through the doorway of Christ Jesus. Is this good news? Don't you dare let Satan. I don't, listen, this might sound extreme. I don't care what you did last night. Really, I really don't. It doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because when you stand here, you don't stand on your works of righteousness, you stand on his. That means, this is going to sound extreme. Regardless of what you did last night, God looks at you and says, I still see you as I see my son as i see my daughter as i see jesus in view of god's mercy it says offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship other translation this is your reasonable act of worship paul saying after all that he's done That's the least you can do. And what is the least you can do? Offer your bodies. He doesn't say offer your songs. It's way bigger than that. In light of what he's done for you and me, it's about a whole life response. In light of what he's done, Paul is saying the only reasonable thing is all that I am to you. For all that you've done for me. Say it with me. All that I am to you. For all that you've done for me. That, Paul says, is only reasonable. Psalm 95. The passage you've been looking at beginning with. Fleshes out what it means. And what this looks like to... Offer all that I am. What true worship is. True worship is something that will engage every aspect of your being. True worship will engage every aspect of your being. It will engage your mind. It will engage your emotions. It will engage, yes, even your will. Worship isn't worship. I'm going to say this again and again and again. Worship isn't worship unless it engages your entire being. That is your mind, your emotions, and your will. True worship. Where do you get that, Peter? Psalm 95. Verse 1, sing for joy. Shout aloud. Verse 2, come before him with thanksgiving. Extol him with music and song. You know what that is? That's emotional language. You know what that is? That's the psalmist worshiping God with his affection. With his affection. But. He don't just stop there. Verse 6 to 7. You're commanded to worship God submissively with your will. You're commanded to worship God submissively with your will, not just with your emotions. It says, let us bow down. Let us kneel. And it's talking about the submission of the will. To worship is when you come and say, Father, your will be done and not mine. And it doesn't end with words. It actually is lived out in our actions with what we do, our time, our money, our energy, our sexuality, our relationships. Worship with your will means your will, not mine, your underthrow not me, and our entire lives actually declare you are God, not me. Can I say that again? Your time declares your will, not mine. What you do with your free time declares you're God, I'm not. What you do with your money declares your will, not mine. What you do in your sexuality declares your will, not mine. Our entire lives declare your will. Now, that's what it means to bow down. In other words, truly worship means there's a change in your life. How you live is actually impacted, But it doesn't just end there, does it? Verse 7 and following, it says, listen to his voice. It has an emphasis on hearing and understanding the spoken word. In other words, you're to worship God with your Mind, as we're saying, a true and accurate description of who God is, a picture of who God is, seeing him as he is, is crucial to true worship. Sociology, doctrine are all critical to elements of true worship. You are to engage your will, your emotions, and your heart. Every single part of your being has to be engaged in worship. If worship, new community, I need to say this, if worship... It's just an intellectual exercise where you love theology, where you love doctrine, you love taking notes on your laptop, you love the sermon. As soon as the sermon's done, come check my phone. If that is worship, you're not truly worshiping. True worship where it just engages your mind and nothing else is that orthodoxy. There's no life. And yes, I need to say new community because this is a big part of who we are. But it also engages what? For others of us, we weep. We don't. I I have no problem engaging my affections. Can you tell? My heart engaged right away. My affections are right there. But if for us, those of us, if we just weep, if we just have our affections moved and an emotional experience in worship, but we don't submit our will to God. It doesn't change the way we live. It doesn't change our character. We're still angry. We're still impatient. We're still self-righteous. We're still moralistic. We're still unloving. It doesn't change what we do with our life patterns. Your life and your actions still say that we are on the throne. If all we happens is we are engaged with our emotions, but our will is not submitted, we haven't truly worshipped. Mind, affections, and will. If they're not all together, it's not true worship. You know what true worship does? Listen, look, look. True worship takes our beliefs, doctrine, theology, about God. Man, I love me some doctrine, theology, about God. But it takes that, and it drives it deep into my heart's affections. It drives into my heart's affections so that I see who God is, and my heart goes, Whoa! My heart goes, And for some of us, Whoa. whatever. Your heart is engaged. Your heart and your affections are moved in such a way that it changes the way you live. True worship. Take my beliefs about God, drive it into my heart to where my affections are engaged. Changes the way I live. Are you worshiping? I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people who are seeking, who are searching for reality of God. I talked to a lot of people who said, Peter, I genuinely want to encounter God. I genuinely want to encounter the reality of God. Many of you, how many of us would love to encounter and experience the palpable presence of God? Who doesn't? We genuinely want to experience an assurance of His love. We genuinely want to come and experience the Holy Spirit in love and truth prompting areas of our lives that need to change and saying, don't you need to be different? Don't you? We all want to encounter powerful presence and love and power and mercy of God. We do personally, corporately, but we walk away empty. Why? We haven't truly worshipped. What do I mean? Verse 6. Come let us Bow down, let us kneel before me. You know what this is? This is a posture of surrender. This, by the way, is what you look like in your relationship with God. (laughs) It's what I look like five, six days out of the week. In other words, when you're on your feet, it's hard to knock you down, hard to move you. When you are on your knees, you're utterly vulnerable. Utterly vulnerable. Do you know what being on your knees and bowing down and kneeling and raising your hands means? Listen, it's our whole life saying, no more conditions. No more negotiation. I surrender. This is you and me saying, God, no more negotiations. No more. Well, if you do this, if you do that, when you do this, when no more conditions. God, why is my life, how did, no more conditions. No more negotiations. I surrender. This is what you and I need. We will not encounter God Do you know why this is so hard for us? It's not just that we're, well, I'm just prideful. I'm just scared of being vulnerable. It's deeper than that. We live in a consumeristic culture that's conditioned us to think that everything exists to cater to our needs with the least amount of inconvenience and sacrifice required. Would you agree? And if it doesn't meet our needs, we go elsewhere. And there are plenty of vendors vying for our attention, our time, and money. And this mindset is so ingrained in us that it's almost automatic, and it affects how you date. It affects how you choose your careers. It affects sometimes how we choose our churches. doesn't meet my needs, makes me inconvenient, makes me sacrifice. There are plenty of churches that say, we expect nothing. Come as you are. By the way, our church is not one of them. Come as you are, yes, but we will expect something. <laughs> we expect you to get involved, amen? Pastor Kate Lane, we expect you to connect. We expect you to. For many of us, when we come to God, we want the reality of God. We want a powerful experience of God's presence. We want a spiritual high and thrill without surrender, without commitment. We want, God, I want to experience your presence. I need you now. But we don't want to give up control. I want the high, the thrill, the mystery. The only analogy that I could think of. <laughs> the only analogy I could think of that might be able to connect with you, is that traditionally, you couldn't have the mystical thrill of sex, without commitment of marriage. If you wanted the mystical thrill of sex, you had to be willing to make yourself completely committed, completely vulnerable to that other person in every way—socially, legally, physically, economically. If you wanted to experience the mystical thrill of sex, you had to give up your independence. You had to give up your right to self-determination. If you wanted a high of sexual intimacy, if you wanted a high and thrill of this thing that God created for, you couldn't have it without saying to the other person, I am 100% A to Z totally committed to you. Nowadays? We live in a culture that says, I want the mystical, I want the thrill, I want the high, I want the thing of sexual intimacy, but I don't want to make myself vulnerable to you. I don't want to be so committed that I lose my total independence. And you know what? Have you noticed that we live in the most sex-saturated culture, but we're lonelier than ever. We're emptier than ever. We're longing for intimacy. We want the thrill of sex. We want the high of sex, but we don't want to commit. We don't want to be vulnerable. And we do the same thing with God. I want the high. I want the thrill. I want to feel the thing tingling up and down my back. I want the, whoo. but God, you don't get to tell me who I date, who I don't. God, you don't get to tell me about what I do with my career, Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. But God, you don't get to tell me what I do with my money and my time. Oh, no. God, I don't want to give up my own right to determine what's right and wrong for me. So basically, we want the sexual intimacy without the commitment and the surrender that goes along with it. We want the mystical oneness with God, the high, the thrill. But we don't want to commit our entire lives. Basically, you want to sleep with God. You don't want to marry him. And you know what? God says, maybe I'm just old fashioned. (laughs) But God says, it doesn't work like that. Do you know what's at stake, Grace? Come up, I'm done. Do you know what's at stake? Do you know what is at stake and why your pastor comes up here Sunday to Sunday out? What's at stake in Psalm 95? Come before him. We said this last week. He literally says, come before his panim, the face of God. You and I have the opportunity. Sorry, Grace. I'm just going to imagine right now you're my wife. We have the opportunity. We have the opportunity right now to come before God. Not some general knowledge of God, but this. The face of God. Intimacy. What are you saying? You're here. You're with me. I sense your presence. I sense your power showering over me. That's what's at stake. But God says you cannot encounter the face of God as long as your posture is you. Don't tell me what to do. As long as your posture is, I get to determine what's right for me. My career, none of your business. Who I sleep with, none of your business. Who I date, none of your business. What I do with my money at time, none of your business. And God says, then you will never know me. God says, you want to know the powerful presence of God. I'm done. T- God, I'm done negotiating. I'm done with conditions. I'm done. And can we just for a moment of rigorous honesty, how many of us stink at ruling our own kingdoms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's how's this working out for some of y'all? I get to sit on the throne. How's it working out? Do you realize why? The psalmist says, come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before our maker. Come, no more conditions, no more negotiations. God is not an easy to pour, come in a box, God. <laughs> I'd like three pounds of God, please, but no more than that. I don't want him to mess up my life. I don't want him to mess up my schedule. God doesn't work like that. True worship is when you come and go, there is something bigger than me. There is something I can't control. That induces all adoration. If you're sitting there going, I, I think, I think I bowed. I think I've surrendered. Okay, here is what a surrender bowed down heart says about every area of their life. John Newton. What you will when you will how you will. God, I'm thirty-five. I'm single. I I just I I'm I'm angry at you. This is not the life I planned. What you will, when you will, how? You will. My career is stuck. I I hate what I do. I don't want to be here anymore. God, this is not the life I planned. What you will, how you will, when you will? God, cancer? Really, cancer? Like now? Cancer? What? You will. Man. Ah. My interpretation of this is, God, give me. choose but God here's the key of surrender I'm not bailing on you I'm not just saying I'm done with this Christianity I'm not just saying well I'm through it's saying God what you will when you will how you will but I am not giving up on you but Peter how do I trust him In view of God's mercy, offer yourself as living sacrifice. In view of God's. Someone who did this for you and me. And God says, and you can't trust me with your career? You can't trust me about your future in marriage. You can't trust me with your family In view God's mercy. We don't do this often in our church. I wish we did. For some of us that grew up in churches that were more liturgical, there was a time in the service where people knelt. There were these kneelers, and I missed that. Because whether people liked it or not, there was that moment in the service where you had to kneel and you had to bow down and you're, Okay, fine, I'll do it. I don't even know what this means. I don't even know how we're doing it, but we're doing it. But today, 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 we're gonna do it because we know what it means, don't we? We know. So, church, and for those of you that are physically unable, please sit in your seat. But those of you that are physically able, and this isn't just for those of us that are like, oh, I'm there with you, man. I'm, particularly this for those of us that are like, I don't, I don't care, I don't. Church, will you stand up from where you are? Don't worry. This isn't going to go on for long. Just kneel right where you are. Use your seats as places to rest if you like your arms, your elbows. as you reflect on your life to offer your whole bodies as living sacrifice means with your lips and your lives you lips and lives our words and our actions are declaring this morning God what you will when you will how when you will how you will and my prayer for this week for you has been that as you do that in the next couple moments that you would encounter his very presence that you would encounter His reality that you would encounter. His loving, powerful arms coming around you and saying, I got you. about my future but what you will when you will how you will God I'm incredibly lonely and longing
1: longing
0: God to be married God but what you will when you will how you will God I so desperately want to start a family and to know the joy of children, but what you will, when you will, how, God, I am struggling to believe, struggling to know your reality, God, what you will, when you will, how.